This is a recording from our 2023 Core Anesthesia Conference. We want to say thank you to all of the speakers who took the time to come and present, and also the sponsors who made the event possible for all of the residents. If you want to learn more about the speakers or our sponsors, please check out the show notes and please enjoy this pre-recorded session. It's now my privilege to uh, bring on our next guest. Joseph Rodriguez is a DNAP CRNA. He has been in practice for 10 years while currently focusing on business and operations for Guide Healthcare. Dr. Rodriguez is the former president of the Arizona Association of Nurse Anesthesiology and has served on the board of directors for the American Association of Nurse Anesthesiology as well. He has led several reforms at the state and federal level. He maintains a faculty position at National University and has written for the Washington Times, Anesthesiology News, and the Arizona Capital Times and the outpatient surgery as well. He speaks nationally on business and leadership, and it is our pleasure to bring him now to the stage. And Joe, we are so glad to have you join us today. Uh, Unmute. There we go. Hey, hey, Tanner. Thanks for having me, man. It's great to see you. Yep. Awesome. Well, all right. I think, Joe, we worked out all the technical issues in the first session. We went through a few of them. So you should be teed up and and ready to go. Excellent. You can see my screen, correct? I can see you. Yep. We're good. All right. We're going to jump right into it. So, a lot of new and potential CRNAs on this call, you have probably already heard this advice goes something like this. Go get a job at a big hospital with lots and lots of support as you begin your career. Now, last year, I started this presentation the same way, and we spoke about someone named Vince. And this year, we're going to talk about someone named Vicky. Vicky got the same advice that you're getting, okay? Vicky got bad advice. Now, how do I know Vicky? I know Vicky because I hired Vicky. Okay. Vicky joined our practice. Vicky is obviously not her name. And Vicky has been a CRNA around the same amount of time that I have been a CRNA. Vicky did not go to this conference. Vicky did not hear this lecture early in her career. And what Vicky did was go to a big hospital with lots of air quotes support. Right. But what actually happened at the start of her career is her decision-making ability actually got smaller, right? She learned lots in anesthesia school. And then over the course of that, those first three years, those crucial first three years in her career, her decision-making ability got smaller. And she was able to do lots and lots of, quote, big cases, advanced specialty cases. But when she had joined our practice, we were doing, you know, the first area under the curve uh, cases, by and large, she really struggled. And that shocked me. Because I saw her practice. She was smart. She had the technical skills. She had the know-how. And when she joined our practice, it was still a a collaborative practice, but it wasn't quite as restrictive as she was used to. There wasn't someone coming in at the start of every case. There wasn't someone pushing her drugs. And over the course of about three months, we realized in talking to her that it was not going to be a good fit, not because she didn't have the knowledge or the skills, but because She was having severe anxiety every day because of the increased levels of autonomy. She thought she was doing the right thing when she started her career. She thought that was going to be a good job. And the point of this lecture is to tell you that finding a good job may seem easy. 
but finding the right job is actually quite difficult. So a little bit about me, for those who don't know me, uh, Tanner already read my, my bio, so I'm not going to bore you with this. You'll get these slides, but I've been, I've been busy in this business for a long time, but I started back in 2012, and we are in a boardroom, a group of CRNAs who really wanted to make our profession better, and we were sitting around a table, everyone's uh, getting introductions, and I get asked, I get told to, uh, to start this committee, this political action committee, and I see this guy across the way, his name's Allie, and Allie seems nice, and we got along great, and the other person sitting next to me. Well, we were discussing one of these issues uh, about how to move the profession forward. And he came up with a very substantive idea, very good, very logical. And I, I just said, wait a second, guys, um, that idea is not very sexy. It's not, it's not very appealing to the, to the masses at large. And the person who was sharing this idea, he was sitting right next to me. He was a little bit in front of me. And he cocked his head around back at me and gave me this look like, who are you? Because I know who you are and you're no one. Like, that's, the, that's the meaning of the look. And then I, I learned who he was. And he was actually the president of the State Board of Nursing that I was correcting in a somewhat flippant way. Right? So thankfully, we got through that tense moment and we boiled down to what the ideas are actually were. And what we realized is that, you know, that individual, Randy Quinn, Ali Bagai, and myself, we really formed a connection around serving our community, around serving our professional community. And subsequent to that meeting in 2012, well, we became business partners and we formed a company that now has around 150 people in the group and it covers everywhere from Tucson all the way up to Flagstaff. The key here is that, as you can see in the pictures there, anesthesia is largely a people business. It is a relationship business. This is true of everything across the entire service sector economy, any professional service. It's about relationships. It's about who you work with. And the key takeaway here is if you want to find that right job, the best job for you, you have to give something first. You have to deposit into the account of the community before that professional community begins to put things back on your plate in terms of opportunity. That's something that runs against most popular ideas that are floating around the internet right now. Some variation of always look out for number one. You got to get yours. You got to look out for yourself because nobody else will. The problem with these ideas is they're all true to a degree. But I'm telling you, as someone who's been in this business in anesthesia for the past 10 years, when you have that sort of behavior and you identify yourself as a self-oriented person, there's karma there and it comes back and people will know what you're really about. This partnership, which is a key part of my professional life, key part of my life, really, was formed around serving others. And now it has come back to us and we continue to invest in that community. Again, finding a good job, that's easy. It's easy to make money right now. But finding the right job for you who's going to generate real satisfaction over the long term and contribute to your happiness, that's much more difficult. So let's think about what is a good job, right? This is the million-dollar question, and most people give $1 answers. We've already got one of them. Go to a hospital and with lots of support. 
Just find something that works for you. Find a position that feels right. All of these things are so general, it's almost impossible to prove them wrong. They're infalsifiable in that way. And that's why I call them $1 answers to million-dollar questions. Here's the answer that I would give you if, if I was sitting where you are now, listening across the interwebs, started getting ready to start off your career in a new specialty in your profession. Here is the advice that I would give you. Good jobs are those that position you for the future. I have something important to tell you. You're going to change over time. What you want now is not going to be what you need or want in the future. That is the nature of the human lifespan. That is the nature of the career lifespan. Clinical services autonomy, right? in my view, in my perspectives, is one of the most important things you can develop in the early portion of your career. Not because of money, right? Not because of I want to be rogue and do my own thing. In fact, the more, your auto more autonomy you gain, the more incumbent it is on you to communicate more and be a more effective team player. Right? It has nothing to do with being a rogue, independent person. It has everything to do with developing the thinking, the frameworks, the thought patterns that you can apply to many other parts of your life. Now, on the right side of the screen, you will see many different parts of your career that, or your life that can change over time. Your ability to think at work will impact those other things. I have seen this play out time and time again. When you are artificially and unduly restricted at work, you tend to make worse decisions in other parts of your life. And the other factor that few people really think about is the decisions that you make in one part of your life, somewhere you're going to spend 40, 50 hours a week, right? The type of thinking you have there, it actually increases or decreases your luck quotient, right? How lucky are you going to get in terms of opportunity? When you have poor thinking, you tend to not get lucky, right? These mental frameworks, in addition to the technical skills that you are going to do, develop. This is one of the most important things to getting the right position, okay? Remember, it's easy to get a good job right now. It's easy to make money in this. Congratulations, you are going to jump into the top part of the American economy, right? And we'll talk a little bit more about how and why that happened and how it can be maintained. The upside is, for those of you who really want to find the best position for you, this, the way you think, the way your job promotes how you think is going to make a big difference. Now, unfortunately, as you jump into the uh, upper framework, you're going to be earning a lot more money and that's, that's you're going to be taking a lot more risk. And you're taking risk right now by being in this program. If you don't know, educational debt is one of the few forms of debt that you cannot discharge in bankruptcy. So the ultimate 90s uh, buzzword in business was go big or go home, right? And I feel like the CRNA programs in our country, they're kind of like the epitome of that sentence. Because once you're in, you need to get through, right? These are not inexpensive programs. When you compare the cost of your program versus what you can earn over the course of your career, your ROI or your return on investment, it's actually pretty small, right? But for right now, you're taking on significant risk. And that's why 90% of the time, everyone wants your job, right? There's going to be many people who look at you 
there's going to be many people who look at you and say, you are nothing but an overpaid nurse. And that really it's the doctors who are doing all the thinking, who are doing all the real work. You're just the hands and they're the brain. I've heard people say things like this. The challenge is, and this is the way the human mind works, right? When things are good, we tend to forget about things that are bad, that we have a a self-confirming bias called what you see is all there is. And when people see that 90% of the time everyone wants your job or everything is going hunky-dory, that's what they think of. They don't remember that 10% of the time no one wants your job. For instance, uh, one of the most challenging, maybe stressful, I'm not sure stressful is the right way to characterize it, one of the most challenging clinical experiences I had in my career, like I've been a CRNA for 10 years, had a, uh, been in leadership roles at a lot of different facilities that I've been at. And at one point, I was living in an area called Prescott, Arizona. Prescott's a great town, about 90 minutes outside of Phoenix, small town living, quiet way of life. You really get to know people. And uh, the surgeon was a buddy of mine, his name is Eric Nelson. We were finishing up a hernia. We had already, we talked about the case, everything was going great. This was in a surgery center. And uh, towards the end of the case, I extubated the patient deep. Um, you know, I was ventilating the patient, no big deal. Everything's going along, hunky dory. And I noticed the patient begins to feel tight. And I see his volumes, his uh, tidal volumes begin to trend down. And I'm like, hmm, this isn't good, right? So we begin to do all the things. We deepen the anesthetic a little bit, get some bronchodilators. And eventually this guy really begins to spasm, have severe bronchospasm. We are not moving much air. He was not a really healthy guy to begin with, who is these days. And, you know, saturation begins to go down. I can no longer ventilate this guy. He was difficult to intubate in the first place. So now we are in uh, unexpected, difficult airway. We are, we are hedging very closely to cannot intubate, cannot ventilate. And as you go through the difficult airway algorithm, unfortunately, most of them get to surgical airway rather quickly. And the thing is, you need to move quickly, right? You're, it's not like you have a lot of oxygen reserve on board. This is the 10% of the time when no one wants your job. So I turned to Eric and he said, um, hey man, uh, we might be, you need to get the knife. Like we might be cutting this guy's neck. Let's start prepping, get the difficult airway cart. Let's go. Cause I am, this is not going very well. And I, and I don't raise my voice in the operating room very often in that tone. And it was very clear at that point, something was different. I was no longer smiling and joking. Thankfully, we ended, because of the pattern of how we had reversed, we were hesitant to, to re-paralyze, but we ended up doing that. A couple other CRNAs jumped out of where they were, came over, helped me. Thankfully, we were able to ventilate this guy. He woke up, had no idea any of it happened. He had no idea that his life could have significantly changed in just a moment. And life is a game of inches, and there was no clinical situation that I can think of in recent memory where this adage was not true or more true. Your real value as a professional comes in managing that 10%, right? And the way you start off your career is going to help you increase your real value in those 10% situations. Now, like I said before, I'm gonna keep my eye on the time here, okay? Like I said before, Good jobs position you for the future. And I guarantee you are going to change. It is the, 
some some people they say to me, "Hey, you're you know you're not the person I marry," and I often reply with, "Well, why would they be? Because <laughs> you got married 20 years ago. Of course, they're going to be a different person, right?" And in, in the sense of your career, you're going to want to do different things in your life. Some of you are going to go into entrepreneurship. There's, and that's a burgeoning and it's wonderful, right? And we're not just talking about anesthesia practices, but all sorts of entrepreneurs, right? Real estate is the booming one, practice leadership, institutional leadership. We see CRNAs taking more and more sophisticated leadership positions in highly complex institutions. These are not easy problems to solve. They're not easy positions to obtain. And eventually, after you do the operating room for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to get the itch to do some of these things to make a different type of contribution. Advanced clinical practice, right? Some people move on. We have a segment in our group that's focused on EP anesthesia, which has changed dramatically over the past 10 years. And you see the other examples there. Aesthetics, focusing on family life, whether it's aging parents or kids or something in between, or just maximizing your financial position and get rid of, get, getting rid of all the debt you're taking on. That's what I did. I had my, my debt paid off relatively quickly because I worked you know, 50 to 60 hours a week, every week uh, for two years, right? And that's a good thing that gives you options in the future. And when you take the right positions, that is what positions you for the future. Remember, finding a good job isn't easy. Finding the right job, or sorry, finding a good, quote, good job is easy. Finding the right job is hard. All right. Now, when I was getting out, of my program, there was a saying. It was missing something. Money, autonomy, location. Pick two. That's what we used to say. You only get two in this business. You're going to be a highly paid RN, right? You're going to become a CRNA, and you know you can't have it all, right? And increasingly, the value of these things has changed, right? But it is still true to a degree. And like I mentioned in the early part of this lecture, we. Uh, we all evolve throughout the career lifespan, and I did as well. Start off my career doing all those cases, doing all the things, doing all the really sick patients in the middle of the night, getting all the procedures under my belt so I'd be very comfortable no matter where I went. And at some point, I realized I love this job clinically. I hate this job in terms of how it's run. It was terrible. I never, ever knew when I was going to leave, ever. And I suppose that had to do with my own problem with not saying no to people. But at some point, I needed to have a growth conversation. Okay, So I went to uh, my boss at the time and I said, hey, man, I love it here. This is great. I love the practice, love the people. It's fantastic. But there's some things we could be doing better. I want to contribute to those things, whether it's writing policy or helping with the schedule or you know, leading a new site or something. Right? I'm just ready for a new challenge. And he told me at that point, I remember right where we were, we were in the break room and I was sitting down and he was standing up and I was you know, kind of like, you know, pleading with him. And uh, he just looked at me and said, if you want to do that, you should have been an MD. Then he turned around and walked out and that was the end of the conversation. So in that moment, right, I got what I needed in the short term, right? And that was two to three years, got the autonomy, but it was no longer the right position for me. And they lost a member of their group by not having some sort of pathway to growth. I mean, I had put in my time two, three years. There was no, like, there has to be something that evolves, right? And this is classic win-lose thinking, right? Instead of thinking win-win, right? How do we 
evolve this relationship, grow, adapt, whatever word you want to use. The point is, he was basically saying, I'm the one, you're the zero. And that's the end of the conversation. Instead of thinking, you know, there, we can, instead of just giving a piece of the pie, we can grow the size of the pie and everyone wins in that scenario. That's called win-lose thinking, what that boss did to me, not win-win thinking. And the downside is that they also created a competitor because it was something around that moment, sometime around that moment, I said, okay, no problem. We can do this better. As I mentioned earlier with the two, uh, my two partners who helped me get everything off the ground, or I helped them get everything off the ground. So finding a good job is easy, but finding the right job is hard. Now, I gave an example last year, and I talked about this, and I said, look, we, I became a competitor, right? We're a competing group. But a lot of the things you do in your career, they're not going to take hold until much later on in your career. Look, everything I'm saying is, is you, you've heard it all before. All I'm trying to do is distill it down into an understandable form for the anesthesia world, right? So this experience I had in that hallway or near that, that room in that hallway where they said basically buzz off, he didn't know at that point he was actually losing a significant contract in the future because he was sowing at that point what he would reap later. And this is exactly what happened. So the organization that I'm part of, that I help lead, we actually <laughs> acquired the contract at a place where that gentleman previously was a huge part of what went on. Right? So we are the primary group at this specialty hospital, along with some other hospitals right near there in the valley. In that moment, he didn't know it, but in that moment, because of the win-lose thinking that was employed there, he wasn't just losing an employee, right, or a friend or a future teammate, right, current and future teammate. He was actually losing business. And this goes back to the original idea, right, which is you have to give before you get. When you're always looking out for number one, right, eventually your pie becomes smaller. Right. And that extends out into the types of jobs you get. Do you want you should be seeking a job with those types of mindsets where that we're growing the pie and building you up and building your skills, not a place where you're going. We're going to make your world smaller. So finding a good job is easy. Finding the right job is hard. Now, there's this concept in business, as Tanner mentioned, uh, I transitioned. It's crazy. The world is crazy, man. I, uh, I started off uh, a community college graduate, barely got through my, my nursing program, and something clicked in my early 20s, and ambition probably got married and realized I uh, had something to live for, and I, I began to work much, much harder, and now I'm, I, I suppose you could say I work in business on a regular basis, and in business, there's this concept of opportunity cost, and I'm going to share that with you. Because right now, you're looking at the screen and you see three different sets of areas. If anyone's from Canada and they're looking to the left of the screen, they may notice the city. It's the city of Toronto. Go Blue Jays, right? Go uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, right? In the center, there's Europe. And on the right, there's Australia. These are uh, societies and economic systems that we have a tremendous amount in common with. The one thing that they have in common with us in regard to anesthesia is that there are no CRNAs there. They really do not exist in the way they exist here. I am telling you with 100% certainty that there is no country in the world 
where you will have the type of career opportunities that you do here. And I can also tell you with certainty that that did not happen by accident. Our professional association has been absolutely instrumental in creating and maintaining our practice. And now look, I get bogged down. I get hundreds of emails and text messages every day. I get bogged down in the everyday grind as well. But it's key to remember that if you're driving on this track of being a steer and a, and you're on the train, right? People have to take time to build that track and maintain that track because in America, we live in a competitive system. And I promise you, there are people who are looking to take, to take your proverbial lunch. I'll give you an example. I'll give you more than one. Now, on the, on the right, you will see somewhere I went for my 39th birthday, Grand Canyon. And on the left, you will see a picture of a national park in the state of Utah. There's some commonalities here. There's very few opportunities 10 years ago. Uh, there was a cartel-like blockade on CRNA positions. And frankly, the CRNA positions that did exist were less than ideal. Um, it's probably fair to say that ICU nurses had more autonomy than many CRNAs in these positions in these two states. And as I mentioned earlier, at that meeting where I met Allie and Randy, I put myself out there in service, increasing my luck quotient. I got really lucky, right, to meet those two individuals. At that same meeting with other CRNAs, we decided we need to change the rules of the game. We need to make sure that our profession gets the recognition it deserves so that we can deliver the services that are needed because the needs, we thought the needs then were overwhelming. We didn't know what was coming now, right? And to a large degree, we were successful. We changed Arizona statute. Statute is the most foundational form of law within any state. There's state statute and federal statute. And we changed federal rule as well. We became what's known as an opt-out state, which is a rough corollary. People use it all the time for being a quote, independent practice state. And we did a number of other things in the state of Arizona. The truth is it from 2012 to 2023, it's almost unrecognizable. So we changed that foundational element of practice, the rules by which we are authorized to practice rules, statutes, and regulations. And then it came out in the private market. Practice leaders said, we're going to make these changes. Our group was part of that. Other groups are part of that. But in the other state, there was a divergence, right? They, for whatever reason, right? This is not to blame, accuse, or criticize, but for whatever reason, those two states went on very different roads, right? And one is now an AA state, in a state that had very few CRNA positions already. And now Arizona, it's, it's fair to say, and I, I admit my deep, deep bias on this statement, but it is one of, if not the best state to practice for CRNAs in the country. And that divergence has real impact on your life. Okay? Your opportunities didn't just happen. Right? Someone had to do it. Someone had to do all of that unpaid work. Someone had to make the sacrifice to get really gritty about something where we were going to change the way anesthesia was practiced and there was nothing that was going to stop us and we were not going to stop until it was done. So when you ride the train, you have to also build the track. 
Okay, not everyone can do everything. Okay, not everyone can make that kind of sacrifice that the people in that room did, but everyone can do something, right? And that's being a member, making small contributions, whether they are financial or through service, just generally being aware or engaged. And that is how you get to the best types of jobs early in your career. That's how you increase your chances of a good opportunity or your luck quotient. Remember, finding a good job is easy. Finding the right job is hard. Now, when I talked about this last year, it was true. It's a fundamental truth, these ideas about opportunity and service. But it's truer today. And you see on the screen a map of the southwestern United States. Arizona, uh, is, the practice is as described. It, Utah, uh, got a lot of friends up there. They are fighting the good fight against some very influential groups. But it's a very different environment. I think that's fair to say. In Nevada, just this past month or two months, despite tremendous effort by the CRNAs there, uh, due to a confluence of events that occurred with a complication near the state capitol, uh, I think it's fair to say that their practice has gone backwards, not forwards, due to the regulations that were put in place. That doesn't mean it's lost. It just means it's going to be a long road to get to where they want to be. Colorado was already an AA state that continues to advance with schools. And New Mexico is, is a great place to practice, for sure. And they are fighting the good fight as well. But there are encroachments on CRNA autonomy there as well. So this idea that you have to not just ride on the track, ride on the train, but also build the track is even truer today. We need more leaders now than we did last year or the year before that, because the challenges around our practice continue to grow. This is not the point of this lecture, this regulatory advocacy idea, but I think it's fair to say it's an important point that CRNA advocacy does not come at the cost of others. And I think it's why, to some degree, Arizona has been successful in encouraging everyone, even AAs in many ways and physicians to make their full contributions of care. But your practice, your job, your first opportunity is there because people made these sacrifices. Now, let's talk about curves, one of my favorite topics. So you recognize this curve, just being, if you're accepted to a CRNA program of the three or three and a half million nurses in the country, you are in that top 20%. Congratulations. You're one of the top performers, and this is measurable. This is quantifiable. If you're on this call of the uh, 3,500 or so nurse anesthesia residents in the country, and uh, let's see, we've got about 10% of that number, so the math lines up. You are the top performers of the top performers, and that's the way these things tend to go. Those who have tend to get more. Okay. The goal of this conversation, this lecture, is to push you even further towards the end of that curve, right? It is to try to get people to use their career, to get as much value out of it as possible, not just for themselves, and that will come, but for the broader community as well. And the way we increase our competitiveness, not just as a profession, but as a country, right? In this country, the needs for healthcare are absolutely overwhelming. CRNAs are not cheap. 
right? But we are cost effective, not just in terms of what we're compensated, but in terms of how we're trained, because by and large, we fund our own education, which is different than the other major anesthesiology profession. Being in this top performer section, the top performers of the top performers, and then those people going off and teaching others to also increase their value in their career, that's how we make our profession better. That's how we make our country better. This is called the law of the influential few. 90% of results comes from 10% of people. And when you realize that, right, you need to double down on that and realize you likely are, if you're asking yourself, you likely are a part of that 10% of people who are going to be 90% more productive than 90% of other people. And you should enhance your skills in the way you do that, as you can imagine, is finding the right job, not just finding what is called a good job. Now, we're coming to the top of the mountain here. There's a tremendous amount, especially now, especially every, after everything that's going on in the country, there's a lot of anxiety in the world, a lot of worry. Most of it lives in our own mind. Our mind is the only thing we have to experience the world, right? Your physical body is controlled by your mind. It's all perceived by your mind. And in your mind, you have to realize one thing when it comes to your career, really your life, your only obligation, but also a moral and an ethical obligation is simply to do your best. That's all. That's all you can ever do. I've counseled CRNAs when they have major complications, when they experience major complications in their cases. And often there's an overwhelming sense of guilt. Just this past year at one of our contracts, there was a deaf in the operating room. It was a young male, about my age, kids, family, unexpected. And that's a form of trauma, right? That's a form of, did I do something wrong? Did I contribute to the ending of a human life? And the first question I always ask clinicians in that scenario is, do you believe you were doing the best you could at that time? And invariably, sometimes begrudgingly, they will admit to themselves that in those conditions, with that patient, with that surgeon, with that surgery, they were doing their level best. Doing your best is not about being the best, right? Your mother could be dying, right? Your wife could have health problems. Your kids could be sick. Right. You have to take all that into consideration and then do your absolute best. And when you do that right, for yourself and for your family and for your community, your career tends to work out. Right? And hopefully you choose a job that promotes these types of values. So let's go back to Vicky, the woman we spoke about at the early part of this lecture. Vicky, again, she joined our practice. Many years experience, joined a more autonomous practice, but there was always help available, or at least generally help available, right? There's mentorship and support. And actually, in one of our practices, there's a very loose ACT, and the same problem existed there. Did not do well. So the question is, did Vicky have the best people around her, right? encouraging her to be her best, right? 
did Vicky have the best people around her encouraging her to be her best? Was she seeking out the best job for her? And the answer is, well, yes. But that's why this conversation we're having is so crucial right now. Because the answer may have been yes, but it was too late. Right? The die had been cast and she was experiencing all the stress and anxiety when many other reasonable people do this job without issue. But unfortunately, she had made the wrong decision early on, right? Five, 10 years later, that's when, unfortunately, it came back. It doesn't mean she's not a valuable person, a wonderful person, got along with her great. Vicky uh, was fantastic, right? But ultimately, this was a very costly and stressful situation because she left our practice and moved back to where she was, had to move again within one year, right? When we're around people who deliberately hold us back and don't encourage us to grow as professionals, to make our full contribution. And in our world, right, that means doing advanced procedures. It means working through the decision points in a critical situation to know how to handle them, right? Not just keeping all of the power and control in one little group, right? Real leadership tries to empower others, almost tries to work themselves out of a job, so to speak, to make sure the best possible value goes into the community. And when you're thinking in terms of abundance, that doesn't mean the leader is going to go away. That just means the, the pie is going to grow and there's going to be more to do and we can be more and more productive and bring more and more value to communities. It's when we make the, when we make the wrong choices, it's the wrong values that guide us. And it's those decisions, I can tell you with 100% certainty, it's those decisions that cost us more than we ever realize, because we don't even know what we're losing out on. Again, finding a good job is easy. Finding the right job, that is very hard. And with that, I'm going to leave it there. <laughs>